last night Gil ended his talk by saying, I thought it was very beautiful, he said, we all have these deep, beautiful hearts. And then he said, I don't remember his exact words, but he had a, it was a wish or a desire that we all come to know that place in ourselves, uh, that deep, beautiful heart that we all have. And so I want to pick up right where he left off um, tonight. One thing that all of us have in common is, you know, we would all want to know those places in us of great beauty. All of us want to find the places of, um, of freedom, the deeper places, the higher places, the places of happiness, the places of peace. We want to um, find the places of ease of being. Um, and so, if we want to find those places, we have to know how to look. We have to know where to look. You know, we're all um, experts on suffering. We don't need the Buddha to tell us about it. But what we're not so expert on is what to do about it, right? Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. If we want to find, I'll use the word freedom, we need to look and see what is it that keeps us from being free. That's the place we need to look. During the meditation instruction so far on the retreat, you may have noticed that we've spent a lot of time, not 100%, but most of what we've talked about has been around mindfulness around the body. The breath, and then today we still continue with the breath, but Gil brought a little bit about extending that into other body sensations that might arise, and then we'll continue with those instructions tomorrow. And so you may well ask yourself, if we're here doing this spiritual practice, trying to touch into these deeper truths, higher truths, why are we putting all our attention in the body? That's kind of, isn't that sort of a, a gross level or base level? Shouldn't we be looking for these, I don't know, transcendent realities, higher truths, spiritual truths? But all we're talking about is bringing our mindfulness and connecting with the body. What's so important about mindfulness of the body? Gil also said last night that the word vipassana, this meditation we're doing, vipassana meditation, uh, means basically to see clearly or to see into. And so we're doing a practice here that is about delving deeply into ourselves, into this mind-body process, right? I mean, what is it we do? We sit down, we close our eyes, so you could practice with your eyes open, but we mostly close our eyes, bring our awareness in, and what's going on, whether you even realize it or not, is, is we're, you know, it may not feel like it to you, but we're developing some concentration, we're strengthening our mindfulness, and then we're turning that spotlight of awareness in to ourselves. We're going deep within. This is a process of coming to know ourselves very intimately and very deeply. If you ask um, most people, 
you know, do you know yourself? Do you know who you are? You know, they probably think that was a pretty odd question. And um, they would probably, I could imagine people saying, well, yeah, of course I know who I am. I'm me. This is me. I know who I am. I know what my life's about. People don't have a clue. They don't. Let me read a quote here from Ajahn Sumedho. This is Ajahn Sumedho. The human habit of clinging to desire is ingrained. We in the West think of ourselves as sophisticated and educated, but when we really begin to see what is going on in our minds, it is rather frightening. Well, you've been here for two days. Isn't that true? When we begin to really see what is going on in our minds, it is rather frightening. Most of us are horribly ignorant. We do not have an inkling of who we are or what the cause of suffering is or of how to live rightly. Not an inkling. One image that, um, that I like is to think of ourselves or our awareness of ourselves kind of like an iceberg. So you probably know how an iceberg, you know, certain amount of it floats you know, above the surface. But most of it, I forgot, what, 90% or something, almost all of it is below the surface it's not seen, right? And it's that part that's below the surface that actually has the most effect on how that iceberg's moving in the current. You know, that's the part that's being pushed around by the water and everything. That's really the most important part, even though it's not seen, right? If we want freedom, we've got to come to understand who and what we are and what keeps us from being free. And to understand those places, we have to connect with them, come to know them, and experience them. If we want to get free from our suffering, we have to understand our suffering. If we want to understand it, how is it that you understand anything? You have to come to know it. We have to experience it. We have to connect in with ourselves. That's also true for the beauty that's in us. If we want to come to know that and understand that, we have to connect it, we have to find it. This is a process of going in. Now, you may say, well, but I've been experiencing my suffering my whole life. That's true. So we need to make a shift here. It's not just a matter of experiencing it, but connecting, come to know it in a different way, not out of our ordinary way, which is reactivity but with some kind of clarity. The body is a huge doorway into coming to know ourselves. It's not the only doorway. And as a matter of fact, here we've talked some about the mind. Some. We haven't talked exclusively about the, about the body. Of course, the mind and the body are so intimately connected. You can really go in almost any way. But the body is a very important doorway. So delving into the body, it actually does open us to the mind too. Back when I, in my early days of my meditation, I used to think meditation was about going out somewhere into some transcendent realms. I don't know what I thought, um, you know, into these deep outer realms. I, I, 
somewhere out. It wasn't here. And we can have those experiences. Actually, Buddhist meditation does contain whole branches that are about going out and transcending. And, you know, we can have those experiences, and when we do, they're great. They're real pleasant. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I would argue that if we're looking for our freedom out there somewhere and not within ourselves, it's going to be incomplete. Something's going to be missing. That we've got to connect it back into ourselves. And in fact, it turns out, well, I want to be careful. What I was about to just say is the deepest and highest truths are within us. But since I have not reached the end of the path myself, um, I'll just say that, well, you know, you don't have to be a Buddha to still see. You can see a lot. You can see a lot. And a lot of people here I know have experienced for themselves. You can see a lot. So I'll just say a lot of truth is to be found within us. That's the way it's in, not so much out. All the truths of reality are contained in this body. The doorway to liberation, to enlightenment, to freedom, it's all found here, just in the body, but we have to turn within and know ourselves. And that's what we've been doing. So what's the first thing we learn when we come here, right? Think about it. You come on retreat, you come in here in the hall, you can, you can do whatever you want. You want to sit up in a chair, you can sit in a chair. Find any spot you want in the hall. You can set the cushions up however you want. Get yourself comfortable. Right? Nobody's may feel like people are bothering you, but everybody's in their own space. You've got your own space. We're feeding you. You don't have anything to do. Just one thing. Just sit here and hang out and be present with yourself. That's it. You don't have to make anything happen. You don't have any, ex and we even are saying, any experience you have is okay. And we just say, don't judge yourself and just be present for whatever's arising. That's it. No big deal. What could be easier? And yet we see how hard that can be. Now it can also be incredibly inspiring and beautiful and, and easeful sometimes too. That's not the whole picture. But certainly we go through our sufferings too. Just to sit and come to be with ourselves, we see how hard that can be. Now it shouldn't surprise us that it's hard to do that. Because look at how, just look for in your own life, what is it you spend most of your time doing? I want to be careful because I don't, I know a few people here, but most of you I don't know at all. But I'll bet that it's another thing that we all have in common. We spend most of our time engaged in the business of our lives. I mean, it's kind of silly to say it like that, right? And it's not, there's nothing wrong. That's just what we're doing, right? So we'll have whatever, our families, our jobs, our interests, the things that are important to us. So we're going about the business of our lives, and we, so we get pretty good at that. And then we come here to do something totally different. We just stop all that and to sit and just to be present with ourselves. Well, that's not what we've been uh, training ourselves to do. Our minds aren't trained. So we, one of the first things we, we learn and we see is that, oh, okay, 
I need to train my mind. See, it's not a bad thing when you come here to sit and have a hard time. That's teaching you something. Oh, yeah. My mind's completely out of control. Totally. Right? That's the first thing we start to learn. So one of the things we, we um, are using the body for is the body is always in the present. We live so much of our lives in thoughts of the past or the future. The body's not in the past or the future. It's here and now. So when we connect with our mindfulness into the experience of being in the body, the first thing that happens is we're in the present moment. We're not in the past or the future. We can get pulled off easily enough, but we're in the present moment. Just that alone is a huge benefit from practicing mindfulness. Just that of the body, just that. Now, Buddhist teachings sometimes talk about uh, developing or becoming disenchanted with the body. And, it, and that can have, for some of us, that can have kind of a negative connotation. You know, to me, I, when I never really thought about the word, my sense of, well, I'm kind of disenchanted in that. I almost felt like I'm kind of let down or disappointed or it's just lost its appeal. But think about what the word disenchanted means. It means to no longer be enchanted. What is it to be enchanted? You know, you think back, back about all these old fairy tales. What happened to the fairy tale? A witch or a wizard would cast a spell on somebody. Right? Now they're enchanted. They can't see things clearly. They're caught up in the spell. They're just in this deluded world. And then something happens in the fairy tale. The spell gets broken. They're no longer enchanted. They're back into reality. So to, to bring disenchantment to the body is nothing negative. It's just to start seeing clearly. Because normally we're living, I'll just say, a good bit of the time, not into the reality of the body, but in the realm of ideas and concepts that we're projecting onto the body. Right? Even beautiful, ugly. The body's not beautiful. It's not ugly. It just is. It just is. Right? We create those concepts and labels, good or bad, you know, I'm... I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too thin, I'm too fat, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm not strong enough, I'm whatever. That's just an overlay we put onto it. It's just our judgment about it. So we start, we want to learn how to start to see the body clearly, just letting it be what it is. Now, if we have a lot of aversion to the body, then it may be useful to do some practices that actually do counterbalance that, counteract that, and to start to see, um, to help us befriend our bodies and to see the body in a more positive light. And conversely, if we have a lot of identity or lust or are enamored with the body, then it could be useful to come back into balance to do some practices that might uh, help us see the undesirable characteristics. And that, by the way, is, is true for not only our bodies, but other bodies too, that we can have put labels and judgments and concepts on. So what I want to propose tonight and spend most of the time talking about is what I think is a, is a middle path there, that rather than 
having to be, as I said before, enamored with the body, or the other extreme, disgusted by the body, denying the body, like it's this terrible thing. There's a place right in the middle that's very useful, and that is to start to view our bodies as our teachers. And to see what is it that our bodies have to teach us. In order to do that, we have to adopt a friendly attitude to our body in order to just be present and to get curious and get interested and to get involved and then to take a good close look. Making friends with our body, getting intimate with our body. And then we can start the practice we've been doing here, which is then to begin with mindfulness to connect right in and to see what is it has to teach us. So, what are some of the things that the body has to teach us through this practice of mindfulness of the body? What's there for us to learn? One of the things that happens or that can happen is that we uh, begin to make conscious what had previously been hidden from us. And that shows up in many different ways. Sometimes people come on these retreats and, you know, the, the flyer for the retreat you know, if it actually told you what your experience was going to be on the first day, you know, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't show up, right? So it's, you sign up because you're coming to get whatever, your inner peace and bliss and happiness. And right, that's why we come. Right? We have to say that or you wouldn't come. And, of course, that I'm kind of trying to be a little funny here because the truth is that's, that is what we're after and that is the pathway. Remember, this is a path leading to the end of suffering. We always want to keep that in mind. But what can sometimes happen is we come and we sit, just like I said earlier, and it's simple, and, we, and all we have to do is be present. And when we finally stop and take away all the distractions, it's like we take the lid off the pot and everything that was in there starts to come up. And sometimes people are just shocked. I remember, actually, I've sat this retreat um, several times myself. And one of the places I, I have my place I love to camp, some of you may be there, where the stupa is here, where the Christmas tree lights are, and just past it, there's a trail that goes up the hill there. And as you go up, just before you get to the top and just before it turns left, I haven't been there this year, but I assume it's still there, there's this little spot right in the trees there. Um, I think there's a couple of tent spots there. And every time I've been here before, I get here early, I grab my spot, and I just loved it there. So I remember one year I was here sitting, Mary and Gil and John teaching the retreat, and I have such a pleasant um, association with this place. It was just, as soon as I come here, I just love it. I go, oh, I'm going to be with Mary and Gil and John. I'm happy about that. I love Vajrapani. I was just happy. And then um, the sun started going down. That's amazing. I actually feel a little sadness right now just remembering this. It was so painful. And I kind of heard those birds off in the distance and something about sundown and, and this and I'm kind of off a little bit in my tent, and this loneliness came up, and this despair. I hadn't even started the first day. <laughs> and it was so painful. I remember thinking, no, not this. Anything but this. It just can't be this. It was so painful. And that, it just, I don't know where it came from. It just came up. And I had that for about a day or two, just coming and going from time to time. Just this loneliness, all my self-esteem stuff was coming up. Just all my stuff was just roaring up. 
And then it settled down, and then I just had my normal ups and downs of the retreat, and it was fine. Stuff can just come up, right? Things that we, I don't know where that came from. Other things that can come up too, there's also, who knows that uh, we start to get experiences coming out in the body that maybe we weren't familiar with, or sometimes things are familiar and they can get more magnified. There can be stresses or tensions that are in the body. Um, traumas can get um, stored in the body and they can start showing themselves. Um, energies can start moving. I was talking with a couple of people today who were sharing different ways in which you know, these intense, powerful energies moving in different way in the, ways in the body. So a lot of things like that can start to pop up. Sometimes pains can come that they call them Dharma pains. I remember uh, sitting on one retreat in particular and I would get to a certain place this was later when I had a certain level of concentration and the concentration would start to deepen, deepen and it hit a certain place and I'd get this intense pain in the side of my head. I mean, I thought something was just, I don't know, I thought maybe am I getting a brain tumor or something? I mean, it was just like a lightning bolt and it was just, my whole body would jerk and I went through for about a month like that when I would go through and then it would, I don't know, it just stopped happening, you know. So things can happen. When these things come up, it can be hard, it can be challenging, we're not expecting it. Um, you know, memories can come up, other kind of pains can come up. Of course, again, we always need to meet, start with mindfulness, but um, it can seem sometimes like it's actually increasing our suffering. I remember once, uh, a few years ago, my wife said something to me that, um, it really struck me. She's a very long-time practitioner. Has had a lot of retreats under her belt and everything. Matter of fact, I met her at, on a meditation retreat. And um, serious, serious practitioner. And she once said to me, not that many years ago, she said, "You know, I'm not so sure this meditation is really all that great." And I said, "What do you mean? What are you talking about?" She said, "Well, now it's like..." You have to, do I have to feel everything? Do I have to see, like a lot of the stuff I didn't even know was in there. It was, you know, not bothering me, uh, which is of course not true. It's like the iceberg. It's all in there, right? And now I have to feel it and see it. And then I thought, well, you know, actually, I know that's an interesting place because if we, if we live our lives what I'll call unconsciously, not looking, not feeling, covering everything over. In a way, you could think we don't have to see and feel everything. We just go along, and then all you get just before you die is one minute of, oh, shit, and then you die. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, having to feel it and deal with it. And everything. I mean, I'm, of course, it's not like that because we all have our suffering. But we have to know... Um, things can start coming up. And when that happens, in addition to having the mindfulness, we need to have a lot of gentleness with ourselves and a lot of compassion for ourselves there. Right? And we may very well need some guidance to know when is it time to proceed and really bring the mindfulness and go into what's going on? When is it time to back off? Right? And we may need some help also in how do I proceed or how do I back off here? So we need to know that these are th some of the kind of things that can happen as some of these places start to uncover. 
another teaching that the body gives us, and um, this is a big one. They're all big ones. This is a big one, is we start to see really clearly how much our happiness is dependent upon circumstances. And our freedom and our well-being is completely caught up in having to have certain experiences and definitely not having other experiences. Right? You've probably seen that yourself as you're just sitting here. Right? What happens when something really strong, difficult, unpleasant comes up? Right? What happens when something really strong and pleasant comes up if you've had any experiences like that? Right? The teachings are that the possibility of freedom lies in any moment and any experience. It doesn't matter what the experience is. The possibility of freedom is there. Right? That may not seem like it if you're sitting with, I don't know, stabbing knee pain or a backache and you're not moving. You may say, well, where's the freedom in that? This hurts. Right? One way to think about what, where this practice is heading us is rather than our normal habitual pattern of seeking our happiness, seeking our well-being in, and this is what we probably all do most of the time. What is it we're doing most of the time? We're setting up the circumstances of our lives to get more of what we want, more pleasant experiences, or more of the way we want our lives to work, and less of what we don't want, right? Nobody's trying to get less of what they want and more of what they don't want. That's just part of being a human being. That's what we're doing. That's okay. Probably won't stop doing that. I do it. Problem is, if that's our only strategy for, for getting our happiness, for being okay, for finding that place of, of well-being, then our happiness is completely dependent on circumstances. And we all know that despite our efforts to make our lives look how we want them to look, sometimes you get what you want and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you get what you don't want. It's really not completely within our control. What that means is if our only strategy for being okay is to have life have to look like this and it definitely can't look like this, we're in big trouble. Because our happiness, our well-being, is now completely tied up in, in circumstances, in, the, in conditions that are subject to change. They're not reliable. We can't count on them. So one of the big teachings that happens is we sit down and we start to work with the body. The body is, our big, is a great teacher. And we start to find maybe there's a way to shift so that our happiness is not completely tied up in, in the nature of the experience itself, but it's more what is the relationship I'm having with any particular experience. That's more the key. So we sit down. What happens if an unpleasant experience arises? The body's teaching us. It's saying, you know, sometimes unpleasant comes. Ah. Rather than just habitually react, we can start working mindfully, get interested, bring our attention in. We'll talk more tomorrow in tomorrow morning's instructions in more detail about how we work in this way. Feel it, come to know it, connect with it. 
know its qualities. Oh, it's unpleasant. Start to see, oh, there's some pulling or some tension or some tightness or some stabbing or some aching. Okay. Probably all of us know in that situation, for this example, if it's not too strong, we probably could be present with it, right? If we move the very first time there's ever anything unpleasant that happens, we'll never learn to work with it. We'll never learn to be present. We'll never learn to find the freedom there, right? So we, we get interested. We, we put our awareness in. When met with mindfulness, experience is just experience, and unpleasant is just unpleasant. We don't have to lose our inner peace. We don't have to lose our, our equanimity. We don't have to lose our happiness. Is it possible to find that place of freedom in the midst of, say, an un in this example, unpleasant experience arising? Right? The answer is, yes, it is possible to find a happiness that's, let's just say, less dependent on circumstances. And even when aversion kicks in, it doesn't have to be a problem. So it's nice if we can just see the experience, know it, let it be what it is, stay centered. But... What can often happen, as we know, the aversion kicks in. Now we've kind of gotten into a struggle, right? It doesn't have to be a problem. The body's teaching you. And it's a great opportunity because it's showing you, oh, here's a place where I'm not yet free. This needs some work. This needs some attention, right? That suffering, if I can use the word suffering, or the struggle or the difficulty, becomes our teacher. So we don't run away from the difficulties. We actually allow ourselves to get interested, to connect with it, and start to see, then, as the body teaches us, we start to see how the mind um, is in relation to these experiences. And we start to learn. Right? A big change for me in my practice, change my complete sea change of direction in my practice, was when, and it took many years for me, when really, truly, I got just as interested in my suffering as I was in my bliss. I'm not saying I never get caught these days. But that's a big, a big change when we can really come to that place. Right? Wow. Mind's really struggling, contracting around this. Hmm, it doesn't do it around this over here, but for some reason in this one, it's a very interesting place, right? It's telling me that my mind's not yet free. And so rather than aversion to the aversion, we can, we can start to get interested. One thing I think is important to name is that we also need to know that any experience, if it gets too strong, can become too much for us. So there is a place, and this is the art of knowing when, there is a place in which what's appropriate is to uh, not go into it with our mindfulness, but actually know how to back off, know how to, or bring the intensity down. That's the place if you're sitting here being mindful of your knee. We don't want to move the first time it's unpleasant, but if it gets stronger, 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 it will hit a point at which it's too much. I remember 
again, being on once on a long retreat, and um, the longest I've ever sat is uh, three hours. The people have sat longer than that, but that's the longest I've ever sat. And I've done it a certain number of times. And I remember when I first decided I was going to do that, so I, and I had this kind of romantic idea. I thought, because I, my concentration was quite strong, my mindfulness was quite strong, so I thought, I was pretty naive, but I thought, okay, I'm just going to sit down. And I'm just going to be, I'm not getting up. I'm not moving. And whatever experiences rise and pass away, I'm just going to be here with it. And then I kind of got excited. Wow, who knows how long I'm going to sit. I might be here for hours or six hours or 12 or 24 hours or for days. Like they says, And then it was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like... And, and, and then Joseph will know that, you know, I sat for like two days or something because my mind was going off. So I sat and I even thought, no matter what happens, I'm not moving. So I got some plastic and covered my uh, Zabutan and Zafu in case the body had to pee. I was just going to let it whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I had it all covered in plastic. And then I put, put a, a, like a towel over it so I wouldn't be right on the plastic. Okay, I'm ready. I sat. And I can sit, like, generally I can sit an hour. I don't get much pain. Hour and a half. Two hours, it hurts. Two and a half hours, it really hurts. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when I hit two and a half hours, this is a little embarrassing, but, I mean, the truth is, um, I was done. It's like, I what? basically all I was doing was toughing it out so I could just bag three hours and say I did it. <laughs> that last half hour was just like, it was like, <laughs> I'm not getting up. But you know what? You know, it was, a way, it was really a kind of a defiled, if I can use that word, place in the mind, right? So, you know, what good was that? I mean, it kind of makes a funny story, but the title means it was hurt. <laughs> it's like, and then I hit three hours. It was just like a wall. Just couldn't do it. So, we need to know, and oh, the other thing is then for the next two days, my knee was screwed up too, or longer. I had to sit in a chair for a while. I thought, you know, you hear these stories about people. I thought, oh, great, you know, it got better. So we need to know that we will hit a time for any experience if it's too strong for us. It's not like you should be able to be present with it or you ought to or find It's beyond our limit, and then we need to back off. I think what will happen often, though, is we really can stay and work with things a lot more than, than we often think. And so it's not a big deal. There will be times when we're hanging in there with something when really we should have moved a long time ago. And, okay, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we'll just suffer a little. That's all. It's not that big of a deal. And there will be other times, you know, we could really have worked with it and we moved. All right. We don't need to beat ourselves up. We're not going to get it perfect. We just continue on. But just to be, start to be aware of that. Now, this is not just about unpleasant. It's true for pleasant experiences, too, right? It's just the flip side of it. Pleasant is just, it's, you know, so when unpleasant comes, we tend to want to get rid of it. And when pleasant comes, we tend to want to get more and hold on to it, right? We can just let the experience be in the same way I was saying and let the pleasant just be pleasant. We don't have to kick in with a lot of clinging around it. Just bring mindfulness right in. Come to know it. And if clinging kicks in, it's just like the aversion. It doesn't have to necessarily be a problem. It's probably a little more challenging to work with. But we can just, um, again, know that, that there's clinging there. Get interested. The body is teaching us. 
And it's showing us the place where the mind isn't free, where it tends to get caught in clinging. This is great. We're starting to see, we're starting to learn, we can get interested in that. What happens is, out of this, one of the great benefits is, is that we start to learn how to be more at home in our bodies, more at ease in our bodies, more connected with ourselves. It's really sad how, for many of us, and I have had, or maybe still do have aspects of this myself, but I, for many of us, we can fall into, sometimes, I think, actually having adversarial relationships with our own being. All the places that we can't accept and that we push away and that we judge and we're critical of and we just can't let be, that's another place where the body teaches us. If we're willing to connect in with mindfulness and see what it has to show us, those places, too, become revealed. And then we start to see those places. Wow, this is a place in me that, you know what? It's hard for me to be with this. And then we don't have to change that even. Maybe all we have to do is just hang out there a little bit. We don't have to then, okay, now I have to go in and, you know, just charging in like a rhinoceros or something. That re requires a lot of kindness and gentleness. And then just to start to see, but to come to know that place that maybe we hadn't seen before. You know, I've had many uh, sittings on retreat when I would, the bell would ring and I would think, I mean, I've had times I'm thinking, oh, I don't want the bell ring. Even when I'm the bell ringer, I've thought, oh, I don't want the bell to ring. I'm, I'm just like, because I'm just so pleasant. And then the bell rings and I think, you know, I think I'll just keep sitting for another, for a while. Because it just was great. I haven't had that many sittings when the body hurts, dullness, aching, stabbing, the bell rings, I think. You know, I think I'm going to hang out with this a little longer. Really come to know this. That's an interesting place. When I realized that about myself, I actually started to get more interested. What if I do? I'm not, you don't have to hang out longer. I'm not putting that pressure on you, but it's just interesting to note. Right? Of course not. Do any of us want unpleasant? No. I remember being at uh, Tassajara once. Uh, I was just not practicing. I was just going there as a guest. And um, this was way back. I was uh, younger in my practice, and I saw one of the Zen, I guess it's the monks or the priest, he was all in black and his shaved head, and I just, you know, he's projecting all kinds of things on these guys. You know, the Zen guy, you know, and, and I heard him say to one of the other, as I walked by, he said, you know, I mean, just this exact tone of voice, you know, tell you the truth, I'd rather be contemplating the emptiness of bliss than the emptiness of knee pain. <laughs> and the other guy's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just thought, <laughs> it was great. I just thought it was so freeing when I heard them say that. It's like, you know, it's true. None of us want unpleasant. We'd always choose the pleasant. As we come to know more about how we work around pleasant and unpleasant. And one of the things we start to see very clearly is that it's all just a rising, passing away, coming and going, right? Think about maybe if you had a sit today, 
or yesterday, maybe your worst sit, where it was, if you had one, you may not have had one, where I'm not going to make it. You open your eyes, oh, it's only been 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. Right? That's a pretty miserable experience, right? Did it last? No, it changed. Right? None of these experiences last. That's another thing we start to see. This is another wisdom or teaching we learn through the body. And it's a big teaching around impermanence. Right? And I don't, this would be a whole Dharma talk that I'm not going to get into, so I'm just going to say a little bit around the topic of impermanence. It's one of the big pieces of wisdom and teaching that the body has for us. It's a real doorway to liberation if we can really get this. We all know, at least intellectually we know, that our bodies are going to age, right? Everybody knows that. We don't live our life as if it's true, but, but we know it intellectually. Okay? Our bodies are teaching this every moment if we can look closely. Right. Can you, I don't know if in the back you can see, but maybe in the front, you see that spot on my arm right there? Anything in the close? You see that spot? See that spot? Ten years ago, that wasn't there. <laughs> it started coming in. And I thought, I mean, the word went in my head, damn, <laughs> what's that? So I didn't know, and I thought, well, it could be a little skin cancer or something. I went to the dermatologist, and I thought, well, I should just have it checked out. So he looked at it, gave it some, I don't know, medical term, and he said, well, it's an age spot. Like, that was going to make me feel better. <laughs> and I thought, age spot? Age spot? I don't like this at all. <laughs> and now, you can't see them, but more starting to <laughs> pop out here. And uh, I, um, in my younger days, I was an active rock climber for, oh, I don't know, 15 years. And even though you put on, you know, SPF 50 on your hands, I mean, you're up there in Yosemite, you're at 8,000 feet, and your hands are, it's just going to happen. I just, just, so I noticed them coming in, and I had thought, when there's, I mean, I really see them. And um, I had thought, you know, I think they have these little laser things that will zap those off. And I was thinking, you know, should I? And then immediately I caught myself and said, wait a minute, I'm not going to zap these off. That's my teacher. The age spots are staying. They're teaching me. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, what do you think is going to happen with the body? And it's nothing going wrong. It's not, it's nothing's going wrong. That's what happens to bodies. Nothing's going wrong. And the body is teaching me and it's telling me if you're clinging, if you're identified with the body, I'm not talking about, uh, if you're identified with the body, you're going to suffer. Or at least you're setting up the conditions for potential suffering in the future. Right? We're not talking about um, disassociating for our, from our bodies or disconnecting from our bodies. No, this is a practice of becoming embodied, connecting with our bodies. So when I say we're learning not to cling, I want to be really clear. I am not saying we get an aversion or a negative or not able to be in our bodies. And if we do find that we tend to disassociate or it's hard to be in a body, 
That's another wisdom the body's telling us. We want to come to know that and see that. We don't have to make a problem, but we want to come to see, oh, okay, there's uh, something here. With the compassion, something to look at here. But we want to start to see. What else do we know is true of the body, okay? We know it's going to age. What else is true? Bodies are going to get sick sometimes. We don't have to like it, but it's going to happen, right? We know ahead of time that the body's going to get old. We know ahead of time that it's going to get sick. And what else do we know ahead of time? The big one. <laughs> Forget aging and sick. Right? It's going to die. The body's going to die. Right? Now, we're not saying that in order to um, be morose or to ruin your day. <laughs> you know, sometimes people think of... of <laughs> Sometimes people think Buddhism is, is um, kind of a pessimistic religion. You know, that the Buddhists allegedly said that life is suffering. And by the way, that's also, as Gil was talking about desire, and that was a mistranslation. Um, he didn't say life is suffering, and that'll be something else that maybe will come up. But it but certainly inclu does include an element of suffering. Um, but, um, you know, you hear that and you think, well, gee, that's not, you know, what about these joy and happiness? That's, that's the kind of religion I want. But Buddhism's not pessimistic, and it's, not, it's, it's actually, I would say, realistic and actually optimistic because it's saying that in the midst of our situation, which is here we are, we're living beings in bodies that are going to grow old, they're going to get sick and going to die. It's going to happen. You're going to start getting these things popping out. <laughs> right? And as I look around, there's a few people here who look older than me and some of you who look younger. I remember actually back in my rock climbing days and I, I noticed I was, I don't know, I think it must have been about 30 years old and I was up at Yosemite and we were looking up there, people climbing, we were saying, you know, you don't see many, you don't see any old people out here. <laughs> and I said, I remember this very clearly to my friend, I said, that's not going to be me. I'm going to keep it up every day. I'm going to just stay in shape. I'm not going to lose it. <laughs> well, you know, the body didn't ask me my opinion. It just went right ahead. And what happens? You know, things start, you know, you start pulling something that doesn't heal up, that didn't used to. You don't have the strength you have. You don't have the stamina you have. And now, I couldn't do that. I mean, I'm not in shape, but it's, right? I used to be able, I love the way Ajahn Chah says, he says um, when he was young, his legs used to carry him, and now he has to carry them. <laughs> and I think about that, because when I was young, I was a runner, I ran track in high school, and, I mean, and now I can't even, you know, I can't run, and my legs do feel heavy, it's just the body slows down. Right? Impermanence. This is a great teaching of the body. And if we're willing to connect and bring our mindfulness and befriend and come to know the wisdom that's in our bodies, it's doing us a great favor. It's really pointing to and saying things don't last. The body doesn't last. And through that, the wisdom of, of the truths of all existence are revealed. Right? Nothing lasts. Right? And it's pointing to the cause of our suffering then. If we can free the mind from identification and clinging around the body, the deeper truths start to reveal themselves, right? When we're clinging and identified, we tend to contract around a small sense of who we are. 
we're identified with the body or sm small ideas of us. When we, when we free ourselves from that, identification, carving out this separate small little sense of ourselves, the deeper truths are just naturally seen and revealed. And that's how and why, just even through the body, all the truths we need come to know. And rather than come to know them through going out, we come to know them in an embodied way. Right? And as we look deeper, we, we start to see places of... I think it gets back to what Gil said um, when, when he ended. That's how I started the talk tonight. That his wish or his desire his hope, I don't remember how he said it for us, was that we could come to know these places in us of incredible beauty. And so as we turn our intention in, we're going to find those places that are there in each one of us. Every one of us. Regardless of whether you know it or not. Places of incredible beauty that you may not have had any inkling was there. And places that are challenging that you may not have known in there. And then beyond that, even the freedom we can come to in the midst of all of it. Right? And we can see it all as arising and passing away as we rest um, at peace in the midst of it all. That's what we're learning to do. So to end what I'd like to do is just a very short, I'd just like to invite you to participate, if you'd like, in a very short, just the last few minutes, guided meditation. Just a few minutes. And what I would invite you to do is get in any posture you want. If you, uh, you don't have to be in a fancy posture, but just get comfortable and just sit. One of the things that can happen when we are in any kind of discussion or sometimes listening to Dharma talks is um, it can happen that our awareness, we lose the mindfulness of ourselves and our awareness goes out into the room or into the concepts and we can kind of lose the connection with ourselves. Um, and if that's happened, I invite you to bring your mindfulness back, connecting back in, right into the body. And if you're comfortable sitting with your eyes closed, I'd invite you to allow your eyes to close. You don't have to, but just if you're okay with that, let your eyes close. Letting the awareness connect into the body. And then to start with, begin just feeling the breath, however you experience it. Whether it's at the nose, coolness of the air, in and out. Maybe it's the physical movement of the rise and fall of the belly. It could be the whole breath. And just resting. You know, you've been practicing this a lot, so just experiencing the breath. We don't have to put a concept on it. Just feeling it, being there. And now allow your awareness to go just down to um, feel your butt on your chair or your cushion. Can you feel that? Just the sensation of the pressure, however you experience it. 
Maybe it's hardness or softness. Maybe a little achiness. And as you're there, noticing, the, not only really getting intimate, close, feeling the, uh, the, the quality, the nature of, of the sensations, but also checking in how you're relating with that experience. If it's unpleasant, are you kind of want to get rid of it, push it away? If it's pleasant, are you wanting more of it? If it's neutral, are you kind of not that interested in maybe spacing out a little? Just to notice that. Whatever you see there, there's a teaching there. It's the wisdom of the body. And then feel into your hands. Either if they're clasped together or if they're on your knees or your thighs. Sensations of them touching. Maybe there's some coolness or warmth. And now your legs. Just really hanging out there, bringing the mindfulness. We're not making any big deal. You don't have to penetrate in or drill into it, but just connecting mindfully but with a sense of ease. And now notice if there's any achiness. There's the sensations there. If there's anything unpleasant, really let yourself connect with that. Feel it. What does that achiness or that tightness or whatever it is feel like? Is there any aversion to it if, if you do have something unpleasant? Can you get interested and willing to hang out and view this as your teacher? Now your arms. You may have a lot of sensation, or sometimes it's just a general sense there. Sometimes we can feel energies moving or pulsing. Now, finally, feel into your torso, wherever you want. Chest, it could be the back, abdomen. Again, noticing, seeing if, yeah, I, I, can, I can be present with this. I can just hang out here and be present. I don't have to make a big deal. I don't have to push away. I don't have to grasp it. Another thing to notice, with eyes closed, You might want to just notice sometimes the notion of arm, leg, torso, hand, butt, those labels fall away. Where are those now? With eyes closed, it's just the flow of sensation. Right? It's just aching or tingling or tightness or coolness. 
sharp or dull. Right? Even the notion of arm or leg or and sometimes even, don't make a big deal about this, we're just kind of playing with it. Sometimes even the notion of my leg, my arm, my pain. I like this. I can't be with that. That can start to soften. And there's just experience arising and passing away. Just the flow of sensation. There's just pressure or tingling or heat or aching or tightness. Let yourself look closely. Let yourself feel closely and see, can you rest awake, alive, in the midst of it all? The possibility of freedom is there in any moment, regardless of the experience. Freedom can be found in any experience. And if you cannot find the freedom, let the body teach you So thank you for listening to the Dharma. We have a half an hour for the walking period. And I love what Gil said this morning. Um, he said something about this idea of letting your body take you for a walk. So as you go walking, really experience yourself in the body, embodied, connected with the body. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.